That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin with teammates Aliyah Kamalova and Kayleen Holden. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. On today's episode, we're discussing the myth of the dream job and unrealistic career expectations, and we're using Netflix's new show, Emily in Paris, as our case study. We'll also be sharing three steps for letting go of the dream job myth and defining your career on your own terms. And now, this is The Females. So we decided that this episode should be focused on Emily in Paris, really for two main reasons. Number one, although it's a totally fictional version of a dream job and slash work experience, there are some things that carry over into the real world about holding an idealized version of a job. And at number two, probably the main reason why we're doing this <laughs> is because we realized that the three of us separately binge watched this show over the course of a weekend when it came out and decided that <laughs> that meant we should probably talk about it. Plus, you guys liked when we did this about selling Sunset. So yeah, yeah. we'll be talking about Emily in Paris and I already told Aaliyah and Kayleen this, that this weekend I was talking to friends and we brought up Emily in Paris. So if you haven't already watched Emily in Paris, which mm-hmm. I know, Aaliyah, you're about to give them kind of the basic synopsis, but highly recommend. Yeah. I mean, we're the only reason we're doing it is so we can have discussions. You know, we're doing we're watching <laughs> these shows for you, the listeners, and not because yes. we're bored. <laughs> Someone has to do the tough work. <laughs> so if you haven't seen Emily in Paris, I would say run, don't walk to see it. That absolutely can wait to see it. But the basic synopsis is that (laughs) Lily Collins plays the titular character, Emily, who, spoiler alert, goes to Paris because her boss can't go anymore because she's like surprisingly like pregnant, (laughs) which we find out in the first episode. She's like unexpectedly pregnant. And so the reason Emily is sent to Paris is because she's supposed to bring a quote, like an American perspective to this French marketing social media company. But when she's in Paris, she's like really struggling to succeed because she doesn't know French and she can't get a hang of the French culture, et cetera. So throughout the season, she starts to find her way and balances her work with her many, many romantic relationships, which is part of one of the hilarious things about the show. It's like she comes across a new guy, like model-esque guy, seemingly every episode um, (laughs) to the point where it's hard to keep track of who's the romantic interest even. So great show. (laughs) 
And also a huge part of the show is that she's constantly posting photos on Instagram and like (laughs) completely effortlessly building a viral following. To me, it was the posting the pan au chocolat (laughs) and just getting like 2,000 followers from that just because I just can't imagine that. Anyway, this is one of the many reasons we thought this show would be a great case study to discuss myth versus reality. Many of the things we see, especially on social media, whether career-related or not, are just a highlight reel. Yeah, I I think this show for us really sparked, of course, the non-reality, but also just the myth of the dream job. And we're led to believe that a dream job should, you know, instantly infuse us with power and belonging and meaning, but that's not always the case. And I, I know it was a topic I talked a lot about in my recent book, Power Moves. You know, all jobs, they have tough moments and drawbacks and challenges. And I have to laugh because moving to a new city doesn't usually yield, you know, cool new best friends in the first 24 hours or all these potential boyfriends. And this show, I think for me, it was like exactly what I needed in 2020, which is like, I needed a non real, nothing bad happens world to kind of escape to, to watch. But also I was thinking about, especially as someone who like grew up with a lot of these type of shows that this sets up this dangerous expectation that, you know, work and life work like that. And if you're ever unhappy with something like move to Paris or try this crazy thing. And so I don't want to be like, person who puts a damper on this like really fabulous show, but also just, it does spark a lot of the myth of the dream job and sort of why that continues to be perpetuated through social media, TV. And I know the show is fake, but just kind of like taking that concept, which is not fake. It's very real, you know? It's funny because obviously there's this like illusion of Paris being like the ultimate place to live or to work and like She doesn't even question the fact that she doesn't know any French or anything. She's just like, yeah, I have to go. But then even her job that's established in the U.S., I think it's like in Chicago or something. Even that Mm -hmm. has like a vibe of like very sleek, cool, like she has this (laughs) great relationship with like her best friend slash boss where they like talk about her dating life and her work life. (laughs) And even that like and that's not supposed to be like the job we focus on, I guess, as the audience. But even that's like glamorized, I think. Yeah. I liked their discussion over when she like, didn't she just like throw up in the garbage Mm -hmm. can and was like, (laughs) guess I'm pregnant, have no idea who it is. Like super, super appropriate work conversation. Like could have been anyone. (laughs) Yeah. I, okay. So the, the things are, she's best friends with her boss, which, okay. Mm -hmm. If you're best friends with your boss, you should know, like that's the rare exception to the rule, not the rule. Most people are not on a, you know, friendly basis like that with their boss. Or also I thought it was funny that like there's two people at her company in the U S but like supposedly this Mm -hmm. is some mega corporation. So that was great. And then the other thing I didn't even think about, but one of my friends on Instagram posted about this who actually used to work in fashion PR. (laughs) She was like the most unrealistic part of this whole show is that Chanel and YSL would never have the same agency. And I was like, oh, I didn't even actually think about the work part, like what they actually do with the fashion PR. But I think also you mentioned it, Aaliyah, but like supposedly she's taking French classes, but she never learns French. And so then she goes there with the expectation that everyone speak English to her, you know, meeting a best friend at the flower shop is like, 
I don't know if you guys have ever moved to a new city. I could go off <laughs> about like that, that whole storyline <laughs> of the friend who, I mean, I was dying in that scene where she just gets up and is like, I'm going to sing. I don't remember what it, what was the song to, to, that she sang? It was like, Sia oh, or but, the one in the park. Oh, was it was that? Love, like, love, the most, love like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That was like chef's kiss. Amazing moment in television. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, it went on so long. Sorry. That's a side tangent that unbelievable moment. <laughs> I love that. Like that, like stop. No, I couldn't yeah. possibly. And then like fully production, like just going to sing for everyone. And all these French people are going to be like down with it too. Yeah. It's like quintessential, <laughs> like cliche French song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Or, or you mentioned the Instagram thing already, but like another thing is like every work idea she has is like a smashing hit. And like, even though no one likes her, like it doesn't damper her feelings about Paris or work at all. I mean, you, you like love it, but it reminds me so much. And it is the same producer from sex in the city, but it reminds me so much of now we go back and we're like, how did Carrie ever afford her lifestyle? Excuse me. How did Carrie ever do that? Like you, you kind of do the same thing with Emily's character while you're watching it, you love it. And then you kind of step away from it and you're like, okay, how did she afford her amazing apartment in Paris with an Eiffel Tower view. How do you afford the accessories? Oh, wait, you're 22 and you were the only person in the office that could be sent to Paris. Like you almost have to watch the show knowing how ridiculous it is, but like you can't help but kind of like poke holes in that too. You know what I mean? And I will say like Instagram or I don't know if they really identify it as Instagram. Maybe it's like a parallel site, but whatever it is, she uses Instagram and she does only post the highlight reel, which is like there was such a moment of opportunity to show the juxtaposition of like because she does go through like lows throughout it, like in her career and her job. I mean, she does struggle to make friends and like adjust to the culture and like get the projects that she wants and stuff. But still, they do show how she's just posting the pano chocolat like and yeah. uh, showing up to work late and like doing all this like. Parisian stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's absurd. And it's also this fantasy of what you want your life to be. I also feel like, again, as someone who's like just wrote a book where I had to research a lot of, or I was researching a lot of these stereotypes about millennials. I feel like it definitely felt somebody was like, here's what I think of, of like lazy entitled millennials and how like now I'm going to have this character play out, but like the person who wrote it wasn't a millennial. You know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? Like the, it's like, they're making fun of us, but we're, we love it. Yeah. I think Kayleen, you sent that article from Vox and it says it was the seductive absurdity of Netflix's Emily in Paris. The series is a boomer's fantasy of a lazy millennial's life. Yeah. yeah that's basically it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I would also highly recommend. So after I watched this, Darren Starr, who is the producer of Sex and the City and the show, he also is a producer of Younger. So now I've been binge watching Younger. The boss in that show is very Devil's Wear Prada-esque. And I feel like the boss in Emily in Paris is also kind of like has Devil Wears Prada vibes. So I'm like... Darren Starr, do you have like this assumption that every woman who's a boss is a devil wears Prada type 
personality, but yeah, with like a really conflicting relation romantic life. It's always like <laughs> yeah, you reveal something. From oh my this god, actually, boss. you're it's so like, right. You know, yeah, it's like oh, she spent way too much time on her career, and look, she's like this yes. cold woman now yes. who has only a really complicated romantic. Okay, life. I didn't even put that together, and now I am because also when you eventually get around to watching younger because quarantine, you, you need shows. <laughs> that is the boss. And literally I'm on the episode where she's telling the Hillary Duff character, like I focus after my divorce, I focused only on I my was career. In <laughs> yeah. There's always, there's always oh. that moment. Okay. Well, <laughs> that will be our next episode of binge watches. Okay. So mm-hmm. now you're all here to actually learn something. So we're going to up next, we're going to share three steps for reimagining the quote unquote dream job in order to achieve real job slash career satisfaction, because this is a myth and how can we work to kind of overcome the myth and actually understand why maybe not having a dream job is a good thing. So we'll be talking about that next. Let's take a quick break to talk about Georgetown. When you're looking towards the future of your career, is there something missing? Maybe it's something that could propel your career forward in a serious way. That's right. We're talking about continuing your education, even without pausing your career. Let's talk about Georgetown. With a Georgetown McDonough MBA, you can take your career anywhere thanks to a focus on versatile skills and experience that translates across a range of industries and a variety of roles. Much like the city of Paris itself, Georgetown's incoming MBA class represents a diverse variety of students from 42 different countries. 67% of those students have lived, worked, or studied abroad. This multiculturalism is just one of the ways that Georgetown exposes you to a diverse perspective and prepares you to excel on a global stage. We can think of at least one person who might have done well to enroll in Georgetown's Master of Arts in International Business and Policy MBA program. (laughs) Emily in Paris, please take note. With that multiculturalism comes a variety of professional, personal, and cultural backgrounds and perspectives. Benefit from Georgetown's worldwide network of alumni. Georgetown's collaborative, supportive community of students, professors, mentors, and career advisors work together to help you achieve the careers and power your career forward into something that outlives any notion of a quote-unquote myth of a dream job. Best of all, you can complete a Georgetown MBA on your schedule. Choose between the immersive full-time program, or you can enroll in the Flex MBA, a part-time program that allows you to advance your career without hitting the pause button in as little as 26 months. As someone who actually went through a master's program as a flex student, I really enjoyed that experience as well. So whether you do full-time or flex, they're both amazing. Explore the full-time and flex MBA programs and discover how the Georgetown McDonough School of Business can help you launch the career you want at choosegeorgetown.com MBA. Again, it's choosegeorgetown.com MBA. Highly recommend that you take a look at these options and think about what you want for your career in the future. Hey, everybody. Gabby Reese here. Please join me for my show where we're going to be talking about all things self-care. And I don't mean just eating and exercise. I'm talking stress, marriage, relationships, parenting, business transitions. How do we figure out a way to be our best selves each and every day? So whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen, please join me. If you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And 
remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. All right, now let's get back to the show. Our first step into reimagining the quote unquote dream job is to make your wants and needs list. These are the negotiables, non-negotiables, and everything in between. Some examples might be your commute time, salary, or location of the company. Like maybe you need your job to be in Paris because you love Pano Chocolat like Emily. So whatever (laughs) you want slash need, just sit down and literally just make a list. And then you can use this list as a reference when you're job searching because you're probably not going to find all of the things that you want, but you can at least see what you're willing to bend on and what you're not willing to bend on. Yeah, I think everyone knows who's had a few jobs. No job is perfect. So this quote unquote dream job, it doesn't exist. And I think the the biggest issue and that I find is that (laughs) our expectation is that it does exist, right? And so we end up kind of chasing this dream job, whether it's your fifth job or your 25th job. And part of that chase that kind of keeps you on the hamster wheel and obviously feeling unsatisfied is the fact that you expect, or you think you're entitled to a dream job. And one of the most dangerous things I think about this like chase of a dream job is that it distracts you from figuring out what matters to you and finding a role that fits you. Because when people fantasize about the dream job, guess what? They don't fantasize about tough bosses or long commutes or hellish coworkers, right? The, the, illusion or the fantasy that they make up in their head is very much this like picture of like, I won't even have a commute or I'll be able to ride my bike to work. I know I did this with my first job a lot too. And part of it is just that part of what keeps you feeling stuck, maybe that you're not in a dream job. is just the expectation that you should have that. And I think to Aaliyah's point, one of the first steps you can do, like an actionable thing that you can do to get over this myth of the dream job is to think about what do you actually want and need in your career? We have a a worksheet for this. I'll put it in the um, show notes. It's called figure out your next career move. And it's all about asking you questions that prompt you to think about what are your must-haves and your non-negotiables in your career? Because you're not going to get everything, but understanding what are the, you know, three to five most important things to you and understanding what those career ideals are allows you to find a job that is a really good fit for where you are today. And that's better than any quote unquote dream job, in my opinion. I'd also add that it's crucial to have a, what I will not accept in my next job, especially if you're going on to the, you're not your fourth, fifth job. And you know, you've had like a really commandeering boss or like a really long commute that really destroyed your work-life balance. Knowing what you don't want is really good, especially going into the interview process, because you can kind of look for those red flags too. Especially when you are an entry-level worker, I think sometimes it feels like I have to accept every single thing at this company. Like I shouldn't have any sort of boundaries or like non-negotiables that I just go in and like take whatever I want. I feel like that is also like the millennial experience is like always having horrible like economy job search market, like at least in the States here where it's like, it's always like a grind. It's always like, I'm so lucky to have this job. But I think what you soon realize that like still, obviously you can't have extremely high expectations when you're um, entering the workforce or like, I don't know, be super, super picky, but it's still really important to have the expectations or your needs clear, even if you're like you're new. Cause I think that's like a big fault, at least whenever like I first got, I feel like I was in the same boat where I was like, I just need to apply to a bunch of places and 
I have to take every interview and I have to take every job offer, <laughs> which is like, no, because then you last like a few months at a job and you're like, I am miserable. <laughs> so I think it's really important, like any stage of your career to make this list. Mm-hmm. I think this becomes really valuable too when people get to that level where are they looking to become a manager? And it's like being honest with yourself, mm-hmm. like maybe you don't want to manage people. Maybe you want to be an independent contributor. And what is the most important thing about that? So just knowing what you value or again, what we call your career ideals here at Career Contessa. It's like, what are your career ideals? What are your values? And trying to find the job that's the best fit for you at that time and in that moment versus, okay, what does society say is glamorous and looks amazing and it's going to look good on Instagram, right? And that's where people get this. They think they found their quote unquote dream job because it's got a cool job title or cool company name or, you know, looks really good on whatever social media. And it's like, then you end up in this thing called this ambition trap where you're like, I worked really hard to get here. I thought I was chasing the thing that I was going to have and was the right fit, but why am I unhappy? Right? So that's, that's why we bring this up. The next step to fight this job myth of the dream job is to identify your ideal companies or another name for this is your target companies. So what companies out there really resonate with your own core values? So after you do step one, which is figure out what are your wants and your needs, your must-haves, your non-negotiables, then, then the next step is to find companies that align with that. So what do they have to help you grow and learn within a work setting? And try to be specific about why these companies match your values and needs. I would literally say that you could make a list. Like you could write out your career ideals. And again, you could use the figure out your next career move worksheet that we'll put in the show notes. And then you could make a list of like, 10 companies that you love. And there there doesn't have to be like a long reason why the companies make it onto the list, but then go research each of those companies way more in depth, like way more than just what you read on their about page and compare them to your career ideals. Do these companies align? Are they your ideal companies? And if they don't hit the list, then like, it's cool to still love that company, but it just means that it doesn't align with what's most important for you to have in a job right now. You know, I think it's safe to say that Emily did not think about any of these things before packing up and moving to Paris, which led to a lot of the conflict she experienced, which is like for her, I think it was just all about, oh, I'm moving to Paris without the thought of like, is Paris a good fit for me? Is this role going to be a good fit for me? Mm -hmm. And of course it's a TV show. So everything worked out perfect. It's like the fact that she moved from Chicago to Paris within a week or not even a week. It was like two days, you know? So anyway, I, finding companies. And I've, I've said this a lot on the show and other places at Career Contessa. I, especially if you're in a job search right now and you're feeling like confused or lost, I would always encourage people to focus on finding great companies to work for versus the quote unquote dream job. And our last step is to remind yourself that you are more than your career. Stop tormenting yourself with the idea that a job is supposed to be amazing all of the time. Learn to accept the negative aspects. And instead of focusing on every perfect thing the company should have, look for a career that includes the intersection between what you're good at, what gives you energy, what will pay you, and what your values are. Yeah, I I really like this because I think that I think you can get lost on like, what is the whole point of this? And it's like, look, not every day at work is amazing, even if you love your job, right? And I actually think Emily does a decent job at this in the show, because I do feel like she gets a lot of tough feedback at times, but she remains optimistic and positive and she pivots her strategy. And so she kind of, instead of everything trying to be perfect, I do feel like she kind of focuses on being a problem solver of 
what's right around her. Like the fact that her boss hates her, like she doesn't use that as an excuse. Right. Or I know I've been like hating on the Emily thing for a while, but I actually know she's pretty tough. I feel like they're like, you're fired. And she's like, I'm back the next yeah. day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know if you'd go that I'm still far, here, but <laughs> still very admirable that she just shows up and her boss is like, fine. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And again, I know she makes this look really easy, but it, she does have a life outside of work, right? The mm-hmm. whole like remind yourself that you are more than your career. We we had a really good episode on career identities and we'll put in the show notes. And it was by this woman. She was an author, Tess Viglin, who quit her job with no plan B. And she talks about it. And I know that I went through this too. Like when I left Hulu, so much of my identity was wrapped up in what I did and and the fact that I, for me, at least it was the fact that it was a company name that people knew. So there was some like, ease in the conversation about that. But the reality is, is like, you're so much more than your career. And if your identity is wrapped up in your career, then it's really hard when you get tough feedback at work to take the view of like, okay, let me look at this feedback and logically assess it. Right. Versus being maybe emotional about something or pivoting your strategy because you know, what happens I find sometimes is people can get stuck in that fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, which can be painful. It can be painful to do that. It can be easier. It's always going to be so much easier to find ways for excuses too, than it is to be like this pitch didn't work. So I'm going to go after this client. And like, I know I'm making this sound easier said than done, but like, I do think her character does a decent job at that. And maybe, maybe for Darren Star, that was his way of trying to be like, I wish millennials were more actually more like this too, because mm-hmm. it is one of the stereotypes that we have is that like, we don't take feedback well. We're always trying to move ahead in our career too quickly. You know, we think everything we do is amazing. And while there are vibes of that with her, I do applaud the fact that you're right. She, she doesn't have it that easy. Most of the time. I mean, the reason why people start to respect her at her French office is because she like always makes a viral, you know, post or whatever, like does her job well, (laughs) which is like, I guess that is her job description, what she's supposed to do, but it's always like they respect her like, Oh, cause she's just like doing it well. Like even if Mm -hmm. what she's doing is maybe questionable to like the viewers of the show just seems like silly and like super easy or like way too much return on what she does but like at the end of the day she is just like no I'm just gonna be really good at my job and then everything Mm -hmm. else will come she also does like I would say 10 jobs within the span of the series like she was like a crisis negotiator for that Mm -hmm. fashion designer who completely shut down she was an event planner for him as well she was like a PR person. Then she has like her, you know, regular influencer job where she would, uh, now I'm going to get off track, but I thought it was really funny when she would kind of do things that like you would definitely hundred yeah. percent get fired for from your job, like going out to be an influencer. That would not be cool if you were doing social for a <laughs> Yeah, for a but. fashion PR company. <laughs> I feel like it's really unclear what her one job title is. We really never got that. All we got was the American perspective line and that's it because she really does like I think most people that work in like social media or like hold marketing jobs would be like no most of my day is like focused on three things that I need to get done that's like like, have you heard of excel she's like (laughs) yeah she's like I'm gonna go meet with a client and try to get them like she's like onboarding people into her company she's business development doing all these social media yeah to be fair that is probably very (laughs) realistic of like a lot of people's jobs right now though you know like a lot of people Mm -hmm. probably can relate to 
this is my job title, but I do all this other stuff. That's actually probably pretty realistic. There's a lot of unrealistic parts of this show, but I do think one of the realistic parts is like you oftentimes, especially early in your career, like you, you kind of can be the person where you're like, sure, I've done that before, or I can figure it out. And so, (laughs) but that is, I forgot about, she was an influencer too in the show, which is just as people who actually have to run social media and we're always trying to grow our social media, the fact that she went from 20 followers to like 20,000 in the span of like two weeks, I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) that's not true. (laughs) But that's Instagram's fault. We all blame the algorithms for that. So (laughs) anyway, all right. So let's recap the three steps to reimagining the idea of a dream job. So the first step is to write out what are your true wants and needs. And don't worry about what society tells you that you should want or need. Think about what's most important to you. Don't forget in the show notes, we'll link to our figure out your next career move worksheet that you can use. Step two is identify your ideal or your target companies. Step three, remind yourself that you are more than your career. And if this is a topic, you know, the myth of the dream job is an overall topic that you want to explore more. It's definitely something I talked a lot about in my book, Power Moves and all these steps that we just talked about. I elaborate more in there. So just, you know, shameless plug to read Power Moves and um, which, I mean, there's people who have done like real research on dream jobs and these myths. And I do think it's something for us all to be mindful about as we talk about our careers and we think about our careers is, is, you know, sometimes just your narratives around that stuff matter too. So thank you for coming to my Ted talk. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. Truly, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. We're always really, really grateful that you guys listen to us and spend your weeks with us. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. Not only do we love reading the reviews, but it really helps our show be seen and found by more people on all the platforms. And if you're currently looking for a job, check out our free job search checklist, which we'll link to in the show notes as well. And lastly, we have a few articles on the idea of the quote-unquote dream job. You can access those articles via the show notes as well.